Well, our scripture this morning is going to be taken from the book of Colossians. You can turn there if you would like. You'll also find that printed in your bulletins. You've probably noticed over the the few weeks we've been worshiping that I'm not much of a uh, I'm not much of a sermon title guy. Um, it's just one of those little details in the week that sort of escapes me, but. You know, we don't have a marquee or anything. Nobody's pressuring me to come up with one. But then, then every week, I find myself putting the sermon online. I'm like, I need to title this something besides "Jesus Loves You" every week. You know, and there's just like I need something catchy, and so it kind of hangs over my head. And 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 this week, I'm a little bit ahead of the game. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll give you a couple to choose from, and maybe you can tell me at the end of the sermon which one I should put online. Uh, one title I thought of was. Uh, is Jesus missing from your religion? Is Jesus missing from your religion? Now, I think most Christians would agree that that's a problem if Jesus is missing from your religion. That's probably not a good thing. But, but there's, a, there's a problem here with that. Uh, how many faiths are there that allow Jesus to occupy some corner of their religion while he's not really the main thing? Or they allow him to occupy some corner, but his role is sort of distorted. Uh, you know, Jesus is a great teacher, but he's not God. Uh, Jesus is a prophet. He was a holy man. He's a good example. Uh, he was a God, but not the God. Uh, people who say these sorts of things might argue, well, Jesus isn't missing from my religion. He, he's part of my religion. But here's the thing, that the Jesus of the Bible doesn't really want to be part of your religion. Uh, he wants to be your religion. He wants to be right smack in the center of it, uh, encompassing all of it. He can't be on the periphery of it. But the reality is, even for Christians, it's easy for Jesus. You, you kind of start all fired up about Jesus and you're resting in Him and trusting in Him. And then He can sort of slip to the side of things. And Christianity becomes more about your uh, religious busyness and trying to get your act together. You know, it's kind of like he was this star relief pitcher who came in, used to always come in the ninth inning and strike out the side and save the game for us. But now, every once in a while, we'll bring him in in the fifth or sixth inning to pitch to a couple of batters and then move him out of the way and we get back to our religious busyness. He's not really the one we rely on to save the game anymore. We've got other saviors uh, who can do that job or who we think can do that job for us. And that's a problem. And so a better title might be is Jesus at the center of your religion? Is he the main thing? Is he the one holding it all together? And so as we read this text together and talk about it uh, this morning, I want you to think about that question. Is Jesus at the center of my religion. Is he he the main thing? Or you might ask, is Jesus really my Savior? Is that really who I'm trusting in at the end of the day? So let's look at God's Word together. Colossians uh, chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with His legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for giving us uh, your word. This is a big passage we're looking at today. And so I, I pray uh, that you would help me to communicate clearly the main thing here. And that you would help us to grasp it uh, and to be changed by it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a review of the, the book of Colossians again kind of set it in its place. The book of Colossians, uh, written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. Uh, the church there had been started by, anybody remember? Epaphras, yes, nice word. Uh, Epaphras had started this church, you can eat lunch today now. Um, Epaphras had started this church, and after he left, other teachers came in after him and began to say something along the lines of, Jesus is great, the gospel is good, but if you really want to experience fullness and power and deliverance in the Christian life, you need something else. Now, apparently the false teachers uh, were telling the Colossians that they needed to appease certain spiritual beings by following certain rules. And the rules that they were trying to impose on the Colossians were a mixture of pagan and Jewish practice. Uh, if you did these things, if you appeased the powers by following the rules, then that was your ticket to fullness in the Christian life. Yet Jesus is part of it. Yeah, that's good. But what you really need to do 
is to obey these rules and follow things on this list. So in chapter 2, Paul encourages the Colossians to stay rooted in Jesus and he warns them about these systems of thought that might actually pull them away from Jesus. Now, uh, at this point, you may be thinking, this doesn't sound especially relevant to me. Uh, pagan, as Jewish, just said, no, I'm not really having a, a problem with that. Uh, it, it might be more relevant than you think. Uh, so we're going to break it down this way. Encouragement, warning, and then Jesus. All right, I can't think of a good sermon title. Don't expect me to think of a good third point title. Uh, but, but, but we're going we're to wrap this up with, with coming back to Christ. First of all, encouragement. Paul's encouragement to the Colossians is that they stay rooted in Christ. Or they stay rooted in Christ. Um, before we moved to town, when we lived out at Mount Calvary in the Mance, I used to have a, a garden every year. And I'm not able to do that now because uh, I own a pool and that takes up all of your time and money. There's no time for gardens now. Um, but when we had a garden and I was trying to get it uh, going, what would you do? How do you get a garden Growing Well, you, you take some seed or you take a, a small plant, you put it in the soil there, you water it and all that sort of stuff, and it begins to grow. Pretty simple stuff. Uh, now, suppose one of you came over to my house. Let's say we, we had a garden there. And you came over to my house. Let's say Hal came over to the house. He said, Justin, uh, that garden looks pretty good. And that soil's all right. But if you really want your green beans to grow, what you need to do is that you need to, to pull them out of that soil and keep a little bit of it on there. Pull them out of the soil and go and put them in the swimming pool. And they will flourish there because green beans really like chlorine uh, and shock. They like lots of chlorine and shock. And, and I would look at him and go, you're Looney Tunes. Uh, you know, you're a false prophet. You're a false garden prophet. Uh, because we all know that plants have to stay rooted in the soil if they're actually going to grow. They're not going to grow stuck in a swimming pool somewhere. It's just not going to work. They're, they're going to die there. But if they stay rooted in the soil, if they stay rooted where they're meant to be rooted, they're going to grow and flourish and bear fruit. Uh, do you see what the false teachers were doing and saying and why it was actually so dangerous. The false teachers were saying over here in the swimming pool over here is where you're actually going to flourish and grow in the Christian life. You take a little bit of Jesus with you, take a little bit of that soil, but over here in doing this and following our rules is where you're actually going to make progress in your spiritual life. Not in the soil of the gospel. Not in the soil of Jesus Christ and what he's done. That's a good start. But if you want to keep going, you need to come over here and you need to follow our rules. Uh, and you need to, to, to break away from everybody, pull away from everybody and follow our rules and you'll be okay. And Paul says, what does he say? He says, no. Uh, verse 6 Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. In Him. But that's the soil that you need to stay rooted in. 
this was a, a, an encouragement to the Colossians that they needed uh, to, to stay rooted because they were being tempted to move Jesus to the sidelines of their religion. To keep him on the team, maybe, but to move him to the sidelines where he wasn't the main thing, while the main focus of their religion became not Jesus, but rules, regulations, activities, observances, something else entirely. Now, I think we need the same sort of encouragement uh, today as well. Because aren't we tempted to think at times, isn't there something more? Isn't there a better way to to, to grow in the Christian life? I mean, I, I've trusted in Jesus and all that, but isn't there, a, isn't there a five-step program somewhere to help me go a little bit deeper? Uh, or aren't we always fighting that urge to rest our hope for salvation on something other than Christ? And I'll say it like this. Yes, I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm hoping in Jesus. But what I'm really trusting in for deliverance from the futility of life in a fallen world is fill in the blank there. It's how well my children perform in school. It's how successful I am in my career. Uh, it's, it's my ability to advance uh, if, if the house is finally the house that I dreamed of and everything is in its place. That's what I'm really looking for. When, when that comes to pass, then I'll know joy and I'll know deliverance from the pain of life in this fallen world. Life will really be meaningful if. I'll really be happy when. Alright, fill in that blank. Take a minute to think about that. I'll really be happy when. All right, whatever is in that blank for you, and it's probably multiple things, it can be for me. Whatever is in that blank, is the, at the end of the day, that's your swimming pool. Uh, that's where you're trying to, to sink down your roots and find life. You're moving them away from Jesus. Instead of resting in Him, you're saying... I'm going to find deliverance and hope and meaning in life when this happens. And so you're sinking your roots down into this thing and trying to make this happen in your life. And Paul's simply reminding us, you're only going to find life in Christ. You need to sink your roots down there. Now, let's see if we can flesh that out a little bit more. Uh, by looking at some, thinking about the bad soil that Paul was warning the Colossians about. Uh, he warns them here in verse 8 about deceptive philosophy. Right? Deceptive philosophy. We're unsure, again, we're, we're, we're not completely sure of the exact nature of the deceptive philosophy, but we know that it was according to human tradition, that it was according to the elemental spirits of this world, and the prevailing opinion of most commentators, which we've pointed out already, is that the false teachers were telling the Colossians that they needed to appease these spiritual beings by following certain rules. And in doing this, they were actually going to find fullness of life. Um, whatever the exact nature is, Paul is obviously concerned 
that, that it's going to take away from the centrality of Christ. And that it's going to undermine their confidence in Christ as being an actual sufficient Savior. And so what I want us to take away from this first warning is that we need to be wary of any philosophy, any system of thinking that kind of gives lip service perhaps to Jesus, but in which Jesus is not the main thing. To be aware of any system of thought um, that would keep us from seeing that Jesus is a sufficient Savior, that Jesus is enough, and that life can be found in Him. Look what Paul says in verse 9, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I could have read that for a proof text for the Trinity a while ago. Uh, And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul's saying, guys, you don't need any more power. You, You don't need to appease these spiritual beings. You don't need another Savior because you're connected to Jesus who's the ruler over every principality and over every power. Now, that can all sound kind of, whew, everybody wake up again. Like, what, what, I don't know, what does all that mean? Uh, what, are, what are some groups, uh, what are some theologies today that give a nod in the direction of Jesus, but at the end of the day, tell us to find spiritual fullness in other places? Now, what are, what are some systems of thinking that give a nod to Jesus, but at the end of the day, their system of thought isn't really about Christ and His cross. Let me give you a few just to think about. Let me start with the easy target. Um, Eckhart Tolle. Right, that's an easy target. Oprah likes him. Uh, he's got a book called A New Earth Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. A New Earth Slash, sorry, A New Earth Slash Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. He actually gives a nod to Jesus in this. He gives a nod to what uh, the Bible says about sin. But at the end of the day, the work of Christ isn't enough. Uh, He says that transcending our ego-based state of consciousness is the key to personal happiness and ending conflict and suffering. All right, well, let's do that then. Um, We'll do that after lunch. He says that the new heaven is simply a transformed state of human consciousness. He says not that Christianity is true, but that Christianity and other religions point us toward truth. Um, And that how spiritual you are has nothing to do with what you believe, but everything to do with your state of consciousness. Has nothing to do with what you believe. But everything to do with your state of consciousness. All right. Well, how about another one? Uh, black liberation theology. Now, this was in the news a lot. We all had to learn what this was in 2008. Uh, it's probably going to come back around again in the next presidential election. It'll get talked about again. Uh, in black liberation theology, Christ is presented as a savior, but the focus is on that Jesus saves you from social ills. Uh, salvation is more about liberation from oppression than it is uh, being saved from your own sinful nature and liberation from your own sinful nature. Uh, now, does the gospel have social implications? Yeah, the gospel absolutely has social implications. Has the church often missed those social implications, especially as it has to do with the treatment of African Americans? Yes, uh, we absolutely have. 
but notice the, the subtle shift in this theology. The focus is not on Christ and His cross delivering us from sin. It's on something else entirely. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would say Jesus is a God, but not that Jesus is God. They give lip service to Him again, but He's not the main thing. All right, let me get a little closer to home. Uh, for many of us, anyway. Uh, American popular religion. I might call this Fox News religion. Uh, this, is, this is our generic, national, watered-down belief in God. We all pray to God. We all hope God blesses America. We all um, say one nation under God and in God we trust. And we try to do the right thing and be the right people and live nice, moral lives. Uh, but very often it's, let's keep God very generic. Uh, he's just God. It's just the hand of providence. And I hear people saying often, we really need to get back to our Judeo-Christian roots. I think, no, we actually need just to return to Jesus. That's what we need. It would be a very subtle shift. And look, at the end of the day, uh, any system of thought that says Jesus is just a way to God, uh, that gives lip service to Jesus but focuses on things other than the cross, uh, any system of thought that says you just need to entrust yourself to the divine being but doesn't focus on Jesus, uh, any system of thought that teaches that all religions are basically the same and you just get to God however you can, just live a nice life, any system of thought that says the gospel is nice, but if you really want to grow, you need to do this, this, this. You need to come join up with us. Any system of thought that doesn't see Jesus as God in the flesh, as the Savior for our sin, is a lie, according to the Bible. And it's empty. And it's deceptive. And it won't help you. But here's the thing. Um... I think, especially if you're a believer, and this, I'll just kind of say this to, to, to believers, if we tend to think exclusively in terms of those groups out there, which is what we're prone to do a lot of time, uh, who give a nod to Jesus and then base their religion on something else, we can miss the ways that we ourselves give a nod to Jesus when in reality our religion is about something else. When it's about finding salvation and deliverance somewhere other than in Jesus Christ. Uh, look, look at verse 16 here. Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, there was a little bit of Judaism mixed up in this Colossian heresy. Uh, they were trying to impose certain aspects of the Old Testament ceremonial law on the Colossians there. And Paul says, guys, those things were just shadows of Christ. And Jesus is here, and you don't need those shadows any longer. In fact, those shadows are actually just getting in the way. Uh, but for them, the main thing, again, wasn't Jesus, but it was getting people involved in religious activity, in the rituals, in the days, in the ceremonies, in doing all these things. 
And I, I have to say, just kind of in passing, I can't get into this right now. This is more of a uh, drink a beer by the pool conversation. But I don't think Paul is going here after what we have as a weekly Sabbath observance. Rather, like in the New King James, it actually says Sabbaths. Uh, and he's going after just this plethora of holy days that they observed and that they pressed everybody to be observing. Look, you've got to be doing all this if you want to find fullness. You've got to do the days. You've got to do the feast. You've got to do all this and then everything is going to be okay. Now, uh, how do we apply this? We don't, uh, at least we, as in our tradition, largely doesn't follow a church calendar. Um, do we? Well, maybe we do a little bit. We do have the whole month of Christmas. Um, and my wife loves it when I start janking on Christmas. Uh, we've got the month of Christmas and we've got Holy Week. Uh, we've got various days and activities throughout the year. Um, and I'm not necessarily opposed to all these things. I like, I like Christmas. Uh, but, but, but Christians, we can have this way of subtly saying with all these things, look, if you want to be a Christian... Uh, you need to, if you want to be a first-class Christian, really grow. You need to, to get involved in all these things, and you need to do all of these things. Uh, you you you've got to come to the whatever it is trip and to the luncheon, and you got to get more involved in the whatever women's group or men's group and do all of this. And and you really ought to be here more often at Christmas when we have this going on and that going on and. You need to just involve yourself in all of these activities. And it is good to be involved in the life of the church. I think we would all agree with that. But sometimes these things that are supposed to encourage our walk with Christ, they kind of become that other thing that we're trying to sink our roots down in instead of Christ. A little bit of Jesus... But if I'm really going to grow, I'm going to be at this and go to that and go through this program. And if you're not there too, then I'm going to make you feel Southern guilt, uh, Christian guilt, because I showed up, dadgummit, and you didn't. So I'm just going to make a little more progress in my faith than you are. Uh, verse 18. Um, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Um, You know, this this brings to mind sort of the, um, and we'll get to this more in a minute, but the ascetics were people who, they wanted to separate from everything, and they went out and lived in the desert on top of a post, so they wouldn't be contaminated by anybody's sin. A lot of rules to keep me separate. From all the sin. Um, this brings to mind as well the way certain religious traditions venerate saints, um, pray to Mary, uh, or even the way in our Protestant circles at times we can have this unhealthy interest in things like guardian angels or the way certain religious teachers can be the one we're all following and we're all on their coattails and, and you got to follow him if you're going to follow Jesus. And you just kind of have to ask in all of that, where's the focus really? Is it really on Christ? And then verse 21, and this will get more, uh, touch on the asceticism even more. Do not handle, do not taste, do not 
touch. Uh, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I would say that 90% of the Christians in Spartanburg absolutely do not believe verse 23. That all of the stuff we come up with is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Um, there's this asceticism in the Colossian heresy. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. As if by making a list of rules we could actually keep God's people from sinning. Now, Paul says man-made rules are of no value um, in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You cannot become holy by making a list of things to avoid. You cannot become holy by making a list of things to avoid. For one thing, here's the big reason why. Whatever you avoid and wherever you go to avoid it, you know what you're always taking with you? You're always taking yourself. And you're always taking your heart. And that's with you if you're up on top of the pole or, or wherever you are. You're, you're with yourself. Your heart's there with you. But in addition, let's say you make your list and you keep your list, or you feel like you're keeping your list at, le at least, what does that do? Well, it, it makes you feel holy, important, self-righteous, and it often blinds you to the other sin in your life. Here's an example. Here's our, here's, here's our southern Christian man-made list, and you might be able to add some of this. You can tell me later. Um, this is what we often, the southern church often, intentionally or unintentionally tells people that this is what being a Christian is. Uh, be nice, at least to people's face. Uh, not kindness, which is the fruit of the Spirit, but be nice. Um, the, you know, yes, you're wonderful, I like you, and then say whatever behind their back. Um, don't, don't use tobacco products. Uh, don't, don't use or drink alcoholic beverages. Don't hang out with sinners. Please try not to hang out with any sinners. Uh, listen to Christian music uh, and just rip all that secular stuff off your radio. Uh, and, and listen only to Christian music. Uh, don't watch R-rated movies. That's the magic rating somehow. Um, when you get above that, you're no longer a Christian if you're watching that. Now, y'all can add some of that. Now, obviously, there's wisdom at certain times and, and for certain ones of us in avoiding certain things on that list. And you may have uh, scruples about some of those things, and that's fine. But when we take this list and we kind of say, look, if you really want to experience fullness, if you really want to be a first-class Christian, here's your list. We are in danger of making Christianity about a list of rules, about a, things, a list of things to do and a list of things to avoid instead of about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the danger to us is that, again, we can get pretty good at keeping our man-made list. And keeping our man-made list and missing the fact that we are desperate sinners in need of an awesome Savior. Because all we're thinking about is our list. You know, there's, there's plenty of people who probably do all the things on that list and we miss the fact that we're rude to our wives and we're impatient with our children and we cut corners at work and we don't do our jobs well um, and we don't tip well when we go out to eat. Uh, we're just kind of stingy. But I'm keeping the rules. I'm doing the, I'm doing the Southern Christianity checklist. And in doing the checklist, you've completely missed looking at deeper issues of the heart. And so there's no real growth there. There's no real fruit of the Spirit there. There's just your list. But you can still have a respectable Southern religion, can't you? And show up, and everybody's happy, and you go home, and go about your business. You can have a respectable religion with no Jesus in it. So maybe uh, the first title was right. Um, you know, is, is your religion all about days and activities and events and religious times of year to get excited about and not doing certain things that are on the list? Or is it simply about Jesus and the gospel of His grace? And you're being raised with Him. Is it about Jesus and you having your sins forgiven and you being made alive with Him? Is it about Jesus dying on the cross and you're having your death warrant nailed to the cross with him. Are you holding fast to Jesus this morning? Or is he simply kind of there on the sidelines of your religion? Maybe he's not in it at all. Uh, My encouragement to you this morning would be is if you want to find spiritual life, you don't need spiritual add-ons You don't need more to do. Um, You don't need a list of things to avoid. You don't need more activities. You need to stay rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you are right with God, not by what you do, not by what you don't do, but simply through what Jesus Christ has done. And if you will rest in that and believe that, That will change everything about your life. Let me pray for us.